All right, so this is Phil Madison. He's a senior at Holmes High School. Um, he's going to read uh, the passage that we are covering today. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this simple yet powerful verse. I pray that you help us see it with fresh eyes and fresh hearts. Renew that fire within us that we see how great your love is for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. One verse, John 3, 16 is where we're going. Just to, to, to give you an update of what we're doing. We've been in the book of Daniel. Um, we've knocked out the first four chapters. We will pick Daniel back up in January. But we are four weeks away from Christmas. So it's what's called Advent, which means arrival or anticipation of the coming of Christ. And so each week we're going to look at a theme that we celebrate each Christmas. And so you could say this is Christmas according to John. You see John 3.16 that God loves us so much that he gave his son and that came with the birth of Christ. And so we're going to look at that theme today. Next week, December 8th, we're going to look at peace, how you and I can have peace with God. And how does that relate to Christmas time? How Jesus coming to earth, how that ensure our peace with God? I think sometimes we don't understand that on our own, we aren't okay before God. And so that leads us into the third week, great joy. And I know Christmas a lot of times is not a time of great joy, especially if you have issues within the family, um, especially if you have uh, broken families, which all of us struggle with. Uh, not always is it a celebration at Christmas time. And so how does God give us joy during this time? And it's not just a little joy. It's exceedingly great joy. And then our final week, we're going to talk about hope because not only has Jesus come, He's going to come. And so the last week before Christmas, we're going to look at Jesus coming first by an act of grace to pay for our sin. Next, it's a coming of glory where he comes in power to bring those who are his to be with him forever. And so those are the four major things we're going to look at over the next four weeks. Love, peace, joy and hope. And so I also there's a tool online um, under Radical.net. Uh, you can download, it's what's called Advent, and basically they're daily devotions for the month of December, leading up to the birth of Christ that we celebrate on December 25th. All right, so that's Radical.net. You can look that up if you want to. It's on your phone. You can download that app. Um, it, it's a pretty good tool. Because here's the challenge, and it's a challenge that we have today covering this verse. John 3.16 is one of the most popular verses in the word, world. It's an iconic Bible verse. As a matter of fact, you see it at most sporting events. You can see it at football games. If you look, it's like Finding Waldo. Do you guys see it yet? Right? The neon green sign. Hopefully it didn't distract the kicker. I can't tell you if he made it or missed the field goal. You have it at baseball games, um, on the outfield wall. And then um, it was interesting. Tim Tebow um, was wearing Philippians 4.13 under his eyes. So he had Philippians 4.13. Um, he was playing for Urban Meyer when he was coaching at Florida. And uh, before the national championship game in 2009 when they were playing Oklahoma, he goes to the coach and says, hey, uh, coach, I want to switch what I wear under my eye black. I'm going to put John 3.16 on there. And Urban Meyer didn't like that idea. Urban Meyer was very superstitious. He goes, hey, man, 
Philippians 4.13 got us here. You can't change it up now, but uh, Tebow explained, hey man, this is what we're doing. This is what I'm trying to do. And uh, Meyer gave him the go ahead. And then the crazy part was during the game, right? So obviously the quarterback and uh, his face is going to be on TV. Um, people started Googling that verse. And there were 94 million internet searches for John 3.16. And uh, Tebow goes, I was blown away, one, by how God can use something so simple in such a powerful way. And then he goes, I was also blown away that there's 94 million people out there that don't know what John 3.16 says. Right? So if you've been in the church for long, you've heard of or have memorized John 3.16. For me, it goes back. I was in first grade going to church. We had these things called RAs. If you guys have been uh, in the Baptist tradition when you were young, you had these things called RAs and GAs, right? Now you got cool things like Awanas and, and other kids' clubs, stuff like that. But we used to have RAs and it stood for Royal Ambassadors. And I'd show up and you'd make a, a soap dish car. Um, you do all these cool things. Well, one week the, the teacher, Bob Hall, great guy, said, hey man, next week I'm going to bring in a blowtorch. If you memorize John 3.16, we will melt it onto a plaque. Now, if you tell a first grade boy you're going to bring in a blowtorch and use it, you are motivated to do whatever it takes to get that blowtorch. Now, I thought I was going to be the one using the blowtorch. Thankfully, I wasn't. But I had this verse memorized. We memorized it in the King James. Um, we, we memorized words like only begotten. And as a first grader, I didn't know what begotten meant, but I memorized it, said it. And then you bring out the blowtorch and you start melting the sides, melting the verse onto this plaque. I had it memorized ever since first grade. Now, here's the problem. When something becomes familiar, you begin to take it for granted. So everybody in the room has probably heard John 3.16 hundreds and hundreds of times. And so what I want us to do today, I want us to look at this with fresh eyes and fresh hearts. And I want us to see how deeply personal this verse is. And how eternally important what you do with this verse is. There's only one application from the text, and it's belief. And it's belief. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means. Believe is it just knowing facts? No. It's much more than that. But we're going to talk about. So I want us to look with fresh eyes at this verse as we walk through this. And my prayer is that we understand the love God has for us. You are loved. You, are, you don't need anybody else's love if you have God's love, and you have it. And so that's what we're going to walk through for the next few moments. And I pray that as we march to uh, the manger scene with the birth of Christ, I want us to understand how much God loves us. All right, so that's the goal for the message today. So number one, the verse starts out with, For God. God, it's very important to know who it is who loves you. Right. This is God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, knows you by name. If you keep looking at the characteristics of God, he's also all knowing. Right. The big word for that is omniscient. He knows everything about you. There is nothing hidden from him. You can hide stuff from your children or your spouse or your parents, but you cannot hide anything from God. He is all knowing. And yet. He still decides to love us. That's the amazing beauty and power of God's love. He knows exactly who we are and doesn't run and hide. He comes to us to rescue us. That is a love we don't understand. 
all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He does everything he wants and he does it to perfection. If he wants to get his people out into safety, he can separate a body of water so you can walk on dry land. If he needs to rescue a people from a giant, he gets a shepherd boy with some rocks. Our God is so powerful, it took him six days to create the universe and he didn't break a sweat. And yet he chooses to love us. Not only is he all-knowing or all-powerful, he's eternal. There is no beginning and there is no end to God. It's interesting. I want us to make sure we're clear on this. This is a huge truth, right? So we're trying to learn more about God, and God will always be bigger than our brains can comprehend. But there's a truth about Christmas. Sometimes we think this is to celebrate the birth of Christ. That's true, but I want us to understand Jesus is not like you and me. Like, I have a birth date, and before that, I wasn't around. And in the 70s, I don't know how it was. I wasn't here, right? And so I have a beginning point. At conception, I started, and I'll, now I won't have an end. I'll be somewhere forever. But I wasn't around forever. Jesus was born. He became man, but he's always been God. Jesus is eternally God. So we worship a God who is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. All are eternally God. Always existing. Jesus was there in creation. Now, what did he do that we celebrate at Christmas? He becomes man. Do you see how humbling that is? That he lays aside the glory that is his to become man, to be a baby who needs diaper changed. Like this is a crazy humbling of God, eternally God becoming man. That's what we celebrate. And this is the God who loves you from eternity past. He had your name on his mind. And he says, I love him. I love her. We keep going. When we look at God, we see that this God is merciful, that he is good, that he is patient, that he is joyful. There is nobody like God. And that's who loves you. Now, we'll try this. I don't know how many people, uh, raise your hand if you know how to play the game Rook. Rook, it's a card game. It's not too bad. Basically, you have a bunch of numbers, a bunch of cards. It goes up to 14. Um, ones are sometimes high, ones are sometimes low. But 14 usually is a good card to have, right? So if you have 14s or 13s or 12s, you're going to win most tricks because it goes all the way down to 5. But there's one card in here that if you have, it trumps everything. And it is the Rook card, right? It's worth the most points. It beats anything out there, right? You want the bird, in this game, if you have it, you beat anything else out there. Now, this is very, very important for us to understand. When it comes to who God is and how he loves us, if you know the love of God, it puts everything else in perspective. God's love trumps anybody else's love that you have or that you don't have. So this is very, very important because we're dealing with a fallen world. Mothers should love their children, but sometimes they don't. Fathers should love their children, but sometimes they don't. Spouses should love one another, but sometimes they don't. And if you have and know God's love, you can survive it. Because God's love trumps any love this world has to offer. That's who loves you. If you know and experience the love of God, you will make it, not just for now, but forever. That's what the Bible promises. God's love trumps anybody else's love. So stop seeking everybody else's love and rest in God's love for you. 
And you're going to see how much he loves you in this verse. So first off, we need to understand who it is who is doing the loving. It is God. God loves us. Number two, we're looking at love. Right? For God, so loved. I think it's interesting when you look at the impact love has on a person's life, you can see substantial growth or substantial hurt. How many are you guys the dogs people? Dog people. Love dogs. Go dog. All right. This is one thing. I, I, we used to have a dog. Rudy was her name, a boxer, high energy dog. No matter how bad my day was, I'd walk in and the poor dog didn't have a tail, so she wagged her hind end, right? And then she'd get so excited she couldn't control her bladder, right? So I'm, I'm trying to get her calm, but I'll tell you what, that dog would brighten up anybody's day. You get in, you let her out, she's licking your face, she's jumping up on you. All of a sudden, your bad day at work is relieved because of the love of a dog. So you got a couple of examples up there. Listen, some of you guys go way too far, though, with your love for your dog. Letting it lick all over your face, like, you got to draw the line somewhere, right? But isn't it funny the impact the love of a dog can have on your life? Then, if you raise the stakes a little bit, how about the love of a teammate, a co-worker, a neighbor, somebody else in your class, right? If you had a coach that loved you, it's a radical difference playing for a coach that cares and loves you than playing for a coach that's all about himself. There's a radical difference, and the impact is infinitely big. Well, there's an illustration with these two guys. Now, you guys might not know them. They're not in their uniforms, but this is Johnny Dawkins and Tommy Amaker, right? And there was a documentary, and listen, I'm, I, I'm a little bit embarrassed to even say this out loud, a little documentary on Duke Blue Devils. I'm not a Duke fan. I like this documentary. And it's called The Class That Saved Coach K. So before Coach Krzyzewski won all these national championships, he was losing. And he was losing big time, losing by 40 points. And there were these guys that were signing petitions to get him fired. And it was this class that saved his career at Duke. And I was watching the documentary. It was interesting how they referred to one another. He was talking about how they had a brotherhood. And they didn't take that lightly. And there was one game in particular. Tommy was younger than Johnny. Johnny was the man on the team. right? He was the best defender. He was the best offensive player. And they're playing Georgia Tech in the ACC championship game. This is before Duke won anything. And this group's coming together, and it's coming down. They're up by one point, 20 seconds left, and they isolate Johnny Dawkins. Well, Georgia Tech had this guy that would be a future NBA Hall of Famer, Mark Price. And the dude was lighting them up. They couldn't stop him. And so Georgia Tech isolated Johnny Dawkins on Mark Price. So it's just those two at the top of the key. And when I say isolate, everybody else spreads out. They get out of the way. So it's one on one. Right? And what Georgia Tech was saying is our best player is better than your best player, and he's going to score. And it was Tommy, and it wasn't a call from Coach K. Tommy Amaker talks about how he wasn't letting his brother go down like that. And Mark Price turns his back to go to drive to the basket. And here comes Tommy. He leaves his guy, who wasn't a threat to score, to double-team Mark Price. makes him pass the ball. They shoot a shot, not close to going in. Duke rebounds, wins the game. And it was unreal the impact it had on Johnny Dawkins. He goes, man, I was out there by myself, and I was hoping somebody would come. And he goes, you know what? I'm not surprised Tommy came. 
He goes, that's what brothers do. And as he's saying it, man, my man's crying. Right? It's amazing the impact teammates can have when they love each other. Then if you go on and you look at your family, my life is radically different because of the love my family has for me. Right? Whether it's Julianne, my wife, uh, and how she loves me, or my three girls, how they love me, or my dad or my mom growing up and the love they poured, or grandparents and aunts and uncles. Our lives are radically different because of the families who love us. Now, here's my question. As powerful as that is, how much more of an impact do you think God's love has on people's lives? You see, my mom's loves can do me good for probably 80, 90 years if I live a long life, if I stay away from the donuts, which is hard to do when you got a dozen blueberry. But eventually I'm going to die. And then her love, I mean, while it was great for here, it does me no benefit in the grave. It's not that powerful. But God's love is. And it's not just powerful to escape the grave. It's powerful to transform your life right now. And so when you look at, hey, this is who loves you, God. What does he do? He loves. Let's see what is next. For God so loved who? The world. The world. I can say this without any reservation. You are loved by God. Put your name in the blank. Phil, I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, you are loved by God. Right? Mike, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you are loved by God. LaVey, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are loved by God. And, and we can go through the whole group. And not only us, we can go down the neighborhood. And not only in Covington, but across the globe. The 7 billion, over 7 billion people on the planet, what we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they are loved by God. And you want to know what one thing that sets out the love God has for us? is how much we don't deserve it. That's how big his love is. And so when he says the world, it's people who are rebelling and running from God. It's an amazing thing. Uh, this week's rivalry week, right? Uh, Sean, Sean, you're a big Ohio State fan, right? How much do you like Michigan Wolverines? You don't, right? You don't like somebody that, that's against you. That's your enemy. And yet what we see with God we're rebelling against him, running from him, and yet he still runs to us. That's one way you know how big a degree of love he has for us. We don't deserve it. None of us are lovable when it comes to God's love. Which makes this verse so great. For God so loved the world. So what does he do? That he gave his only son. That's an unbelievable truth. That he gave his son. And another verse later on in John, it says that he sends his son. And the father knows exactly what he's sending the son into. And Jesus knows exactly what the mission is. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the one who says, hey, no greater love is this, that a man should lay down his life for his brothers. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. So when we see the baby in a manger, remember from the cradle to the cross, Jesus is on a mission sent from the Father because of the love God has for you. And the challenge is to not let that truth grow cold in your hearts. 
So not only is God's love the greatness seen in that he loves an undeserving people, but it's seen by the greatness of the gift. So I'm trying to think, I'm going back and looking. As a matter of fact, this was Black Friday uh, this past week, right? How many of you guys went shopping on Black Friday? All right, all right. So about half, about half. Did you know last year the average shopper spent $1,000? That makes me nervous, right? That makes me a little bit nervous because my wife went Black Friday. We did not hit that mark. But then I, I started looking, and not only that, but last year there was over $700 billion spent on one day. $700 billion on one day. And you wonder what? Everybody's trying to find the right gift. You wonder what I know about the $700 billion spent on those gifts? None of them will last. But you do buy gifts for people you care about, people you love. And when God loved the world, what does he do? He gives the most precious, greatest gift of all time, his son. And so I was going back and I was thinking, what's the greatest gift I had ever given away? And, and for me, it was a wedding ring. So I started dating Julianne in high school and I started saving um, and uh, I was praying and making sure um, this was right. And I knew early on that, that we would get married. So I started saving early on. The problem was I didn't have a full time job. I cut grass for a living. Right. And not only did I cut grass for a living, it was for my dad. And so I started to save and save. The cool part is I didn't have any bills. Right. So I'm, I'm saving everything, putting it in shoe boxes, um, saving. And the wedding ring, the retail, it wasn't a dollar sign for me. It was number of hours I had to mow. Right. So how many times do I have to cut the grass at the cemetery? All right, I got it. Hot days, long hours. Man, I can't wait. And then I started to learn there's four C's to wedding rings. Right. I didn't know it then. I've forgotten them now. But it's like cut and uh, character or quality or, or something. And I just know, oh, man, I got to do some research somehow. Got my sister enlisted in on the project, found out what Julianne wanted, what she liked without being too obvious. And then I had a plan to propose. Um, we'd go to a certain spot that meant something to us. Um, all of this worked out. And then check out, had the ring, got down on one knee, asked her to marry me. Now. Check out the response. And unfortunately, I was joking with a guy who said he was getting ready to ask someone to marry him. I said, it's a 50-50 shot. <laughs> Don't joke unless you know for sure they're going to say yes. So I'm hoping she said yes. When I got down, I'm pretty sure, about 95% sure she was going to say yes. Right? So I get down on the knee, open it up, and say, will you marry me? What would have happened if she just goes like this? Uh, uh, I mean, come on. I could have got a better thing out of the quarter machine. You know? What if she just shrugged her shoulders? You see, a lot of us, when it comes to Christmas time, and we see the manger scenes in Jesus, we're just like, yeah, that's nice. The greatest gift by the greatest being ever. And we're just like, yeah, not a big deal. Don't do that. Not this Christmas, not ever again. Let this verse blow you away. God loved you so much that he didn't even withhold Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, let's go get him. And he sends his son. He gives his son. There's no other way to the Father. You and I were drowning in need of rescue. We were perishing. And God says, hey, I love you so much. Let's go get him. That's unbelievable. Let that be deeply personal, eternally important.
So he gives his only son that whoever. Now this goes back to world, right? Over 7 billion people, whoever. If you want to believe in Jesus, you can believe in Jesus. It's whoever. Anybody in the room. Now here's the crazy part, right? So we had... We had eight dozen donuts. What's eight times 12? Somebody good with math. 96. 96 donuts back here. We have about 50 donuts left over. Right? We have about 50 donuts. Listen, I understand not going after the green icing with white sprinkles on it. Those are a little questionable. But man, we still got some blueberry back here and some chocolate. Like we got some good donuts back here. Now, everybody in the room had an opportunity to grab a donut. Right? There were no restrictions. Kids could have had a donut. You could have had a donut. You could have had two donuts. I don't think anybody would have got on you. If you take a whole box, somebody might have got you. <laughs> right? But anybody could have had it, and we didn't run out. Now, listen, I understand why some of you didn't. You might have sugar level problems, or health issues, health reasons. Right? They're not healthy for you. So I understand why. But whoever wanted a donut could have grabbed a donut. This is the crazy thing when it comes to this verse. Whoever wants Jesus can have Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. And the crazy part, and what I do not understand, is just saying, nah, no thanks. I understand it's the donuts. I don't understand it when God gives his son, you're like, ah, I'm good. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so that, that brings it, not only that, believes in it. What, what does that belief mean? And so, um, Vicki, this, this comes back to, remember when Phil was going to tackle you? You want to know why I wasn't nervous? One, I did not think Phil would really tackle you. I wasn't 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure, Phil, when we brought him up, he wasn't going to tackle you. And you want to know how I knew you didn't believe it? Because you stood here, right? I think if you really thought Phil was going to tackle you, you would get behind Sean. Right? That's where I'd go. Right? So I knew that by how she was acting, she didn't believe. And I knew you didn't get in the stance and didn't start running. So I knew you weren't going to do it. You didn't believe I really meant for you to tackle her. You see, some of us know the facts about Christmas. That's not what this is talking about. Yeah, I know Jesus came and died, and, and that's great. This believing, this believing is transformational. So do you believe... Jesus lived the perfect life, came to earth, died for your sin, was buried, rose from the grave, ascended to the Father, and is returning. Right? So those are some things. Do you, do you believe that you are saved because of what Christ has done for you? Now, if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, and that He is King of your life, and that He is your Savior, do you follow Him? I think it's interesting, there's another verse in John 3, later on, it's verse 36, it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Right? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But then the verse keeps on going, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. So I think this is very, very important. There's a disconnect between Lord and Savior in a lot of our beliefs. I can use Jesus as a life preserver, but I don't have to do what he calls me to do. It doesn't work that way. If you believe Jesus is Lord and Savior, you follow him. You obey what he calls you to do. And here's the cool part. The Holy Spirit helps you do that. You don't do this on your own. He changes your affections. That's how powerful God's love is for you. 
He transforms your heart. You get a new heart. You have new desires and you walk a new life. That's what the New Testament and the Old Testament are all about. And so you can know if you believe in Jesus or not by looking at how you live. If you live for yourself, you don't believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. You might know the facts, but that belief is not saving faith. And I want you to see the consequences. Right? Whoever believes should not perish. That's an eternal placement. Right now, those who do not know Christ are perishing. They're dying. They're separated from God. And if they don't believe, they'll remain separated from God forever. That's why Jesus sent His Son in the first place. But the verse doesn't end there. Whoever believes should not perish, but what? Have eternal life. And that life starts the moment you put your faith in Christ. That's a beautiful reality. You don't have to wait for Jesus until heaven. You can have him now. You can have him now. That is a gift that you have whenever you turn to him. He is ready. He, he is seeking after, coming after you. All you have to do is receive him. And then your life has changed. And it's changed forever. Jesus was going to uh, Mary and Martha's house. Uh, this family was super close to Jesus. And Lazarus was sick. And he died and he'd been buried for four days. And Jesus shows up and, and they say, hey man, you're late. You didn't show up on time. And Jesus is like, hey man, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though you die, you'll never perish. And they're like, what are you, Jesus, what are you talking about? We just had a funeral. Right? They couldn't understand how big and great Jesus was. So Jesus gets to the tomb site. And back then they didn't have a casket and you weren't buried eight feet under. You were buried in these caves and a big old stone was rolled on it. And he said, hey, move that thing away. And <laughs> Martha Mary like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you know this. It's been four days. He stinks. He's like, hey, just believe. They move and he says, hey, Lazarus, come on out. And what does it show? It shows that Jesus has power even over the grave. And so this is what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because God loves me, he sent his son Jesus. I don't know anyone who loves like that. And I believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was and did exactly what he said he did. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt right now, my life is radically different because of the love of God that he has for me. But it's not just for me, it's for you. And I also know this, I have no fear of dying because the grave can't hold me because it can't hold my God. There is no perishing for me. We'll miss each other maybe for a little while, but don't be too sad because where I'm going is eternal life. And it's with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the reason I get to go to him is because he came to me. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas. So if you're here this morning and you have never believed in Jesus, today is that day. He has been seeking after you year after year after year. Do not put it off any longer. And so I'm going to close us in prayer. And what I want you to do is I want you to be praying to your Father who loves you. And if you've never made a personal commitment to Him, do it today. And then tell somebody about it. There is no greater love than the love God has for you.
My prayer is that you know that this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for gathering us together first Sunday in December as we start marching towards the cradle. Father, some of us have done this for many years. Some of us haven't done it too often. And so, Lord, I pray with fresh eyes we see your love for us. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for loving us unconditionally. Not even withholding Jesus. Thank you for going to the cross for paying for my sin. And so, Father, I pray that you do what only you can do. I pray that you open up eyes and hearts in the room. Help them know and experience the love that you have for them. I pray that this love frees them from some of the things they're seeking after, searching after. I pray that it melts away sin in their life. I pray that they see the glory that belongs to Christ. And I pray that we as a family follow after him the rest of our days until we meet him in the air or through the grave. And that we get to rejoice forever and ever with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.